Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to be here. I'm glad you're here. If you would please make your way back to your seats. And as you sit down, would you please join me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are here because of you, because of your grace and your providential working. I thank you that you are worthy all the time for us to sing your praises, to proclaim from the rooftops your word, Lord, your glory and your grace through Christ. Help us to honor you by listening and living, responding like you are worthy. Holy Spirit, would you help us? We depend upon you and the grace from you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And exactly one month from today... Walter Orthman will turn 100 years old, and he has the record of being the longest working employee of any one workplace. He's been working the same job, the textile company, for over 84 years, since he was 15 he started. Now, you may not work for 84 plus years in your life, and most of us won't live to be 100 However, the average American has a, a span of their life of about 50 years when they're working. And over those 50 years, they spend on average more than 102,000 hours actually engaged in working. When you add that up, that's about 12 years of your life is just directly working. When you add up all the minutes and all the hours. That's even more significant when you, when you consider... Studies have shown that average American spends about 320 days socializing with friends. You add up all the minutes and hours, it's 320 days, but you spend almost 12 years working. You spend half or more of every waking day as an adult working. You spend more consecutive hours awake working than doing anything else. And this doesn't include driving to and from work or preparing for work which can add up to all the minutes and hours to over three years on average. And this doesn't count all the time you, th you, you spend thinking about work. And this is all just an average. Since we spend so much time and focus and so much of our life working, I think it's important for us, us to ask why. Why should we work? Why do we work? Specifically, why should we work as Christians? Work is, is not a distinctly Christian matter. I mean, atheists and Anglicans, Muslims and Methodists work, right? However, there is a distinctly Christian kind of work. And this work is done in a distinctly Christian order. By order, I mean, think of the judge who says, <clears throat> order in the court. Or can you arrange and order these objects? By order, I mean that when each thing is properly related, related to everything else, and it's properly related to its purpose. When everything is in a harmonious relationship with everything else as it should be. This is when things are in order. And that's what our passage is about for today, 2 Thessalonians 3. So if you would please grab your Bibles and stand in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord this morning 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you an exa- in, 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 give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> a question might arise in your minds at this point. In, in a passage like this that's explicitly about work, is this really limited to who it's for? Is this message going to be about and only for those who are in the workplace, those who have a career or at a job? The answer is no, it is surely for them. It is for you if you are working. If you will go up, get up and go to work tomorrow, this message is for you. But it's also for those who are in between jobs and seeking a new uh, place of employment. Or those students who are preparing for the workforce. Or those stay-at-home wives or mothers who work at home and who are caring for their home or their children. It's for those kids. Yes, you children this morning, when you are doing your chores or when you are doing your school work, that is your work. It's also for those who are retired and those who are disabled and cannot work. And I want to address those groups later on in the message more, more specifically, but it's, this message is for everyone. This passage affects us all. And the main message of this passage is simply that the Christian order of work is work done because of Jesus. When things are rightly ordered, arranged as they should be, and there's a harmony in life in your work, it is when Jesus is at the center and when work is done because of him. I'm going to explain that a little bit more in a moment, but first let's go back to the passage of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And you'll notice, and I keep talking about the word order here, because it's in our text, or kind of. In verse 6, 7, and 11, we have the word idleness or idle. Just about every reputable Greek resource or commentary will tell you that this is not the best translation of this word, but it's the word disorderly. It's keep away from any brother, verse 6, who is walking in a disorderly manner regarding work. And that's why it's often translated idleness, because that's the, the product. When, you have, when you're disordered with, regarding work, then you will often be idle. It's not the only form of disorder with work, but it is a major one. So it's talking about having a disordered heart and mind regarding work. And you can see disorder in work when you view work or treat work as either A, unnecessary. If other other people will provide for you, then work is unnecessary. I love my daughters greatly, and I know they love me, because they often will ask me, Hey, Dad, how, how much longer do you have until you're done working? Or do you have to go to work today? Or what if you had a billion dollars? Then you wouldn't have to work anymore, right? Well, that's only partly true. 
We wouldn't have to work if we had all the money in the world. We wouldn't have to work in order to provide for ourselves, but we would still need to work because there's other aspects that are necessary in working. But you can also see disorder in work when you view work as necessary, but only as a necessary evil. That thing that, you know, we have to do. Everybody dreads Mondays and loves Fridays and vacations and retirement, longing for it because work, it just gets in the way of life. This comes from a disordered view of work. You often dread it and complain about it, and you can't wait for it to be over. But on the opposite side, there's another way, uh, evidence of a disordered view and value of work. And that's when you see work as absolutely necessary for your very identity and for your true happiness. See, the first two see work as basically nothing or a hindrance to life. And this last one sees work as everything or it is life itself. Both of these come from a disordered view and value of work. But where does this come from? Where did it come from with the Thessalonians? <clears throat> and where does it come from in our culture today? Well, it might have been in part from, for the Thessalonians that they had a, a, a false teaching about the second coming of Christ. That he already came, maybe spiritually speaking, and yet he was about to usher in the fullness, the consummation of his kingdom and bring about perfect rest. And so there was no need to work. We should be giving our eyes and our minds and our time and our attention to spiritual things. And work is very mundane and ordinary, and we don't need to worry about it. This often happens today, maybe in a different light. People think, well, we need to be very eternally minded, spiritually minded, heavenly minded. And so uh, if, if you're working as a pastor or a missionary, you work in the church or you're an evangelist or, or something like that, then that's real work. But everything else is kind of not. But that's not true. That comes from a disordered view of work. But perhaps in Thessalonia, uh, for the Thessalonians, it was they had a culture of patronage where you had these rich patrons who would saw it maybe as their responsibility or maybe even as a way to build up their status if they could care for and pay for those who were less fortunate. Some even who could work but didn't want to because it made them feel good or look good. We have that today <clears throat> in many ways where Maybe manual labor for then and maybe even today is seen as something lesser. And so we would say, I, I don't want to work like that and I don't want to beg. And so if the government will pay for me, why do I need to work? If, if my family will cover me, why do I need to work? If the church will care for me, why do I need to get a job? But this is disordered. You add to this that ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, this world, this universe has been cursed. And so there is now a frustrating effect on all work. It makes it harder, more frustrating at every level. And then Satan himself seems to scheme subtly, undermining the gospel witness and trying to tempt people to, to not work or to work hardly or to complain about their work or to want to be done with it as quickly as possible. And you have our own sinful flesh, which often idolizes rest and leisure and entertainment. Now, rest and leisure and, and entertainment are not bad in and of themselves, but when they are idolized, everything else, anything that hinders them, becomes the enemy. And what is the thing that stands in, in opposition, that gives us an obstacle to having rest and leisure and entertainment 
the thing we spend our most time doing, which is work. So work becomes bad. But work is not bad. It's not a necessary evil. It is a good gift from God. It's a good gift of grace. Work produces goods and services for others. Work aids in our own physical and mental and emotional well-being. Work provides for ourselves and our family and others. Work occupies our minds and our time constructively. Work gives us opportunities to honor God by working with excellence and integrity and with faith and by loving others as we share our faith with them and as we serve them and as we live as an example to them. Work is not bad. It's not something that we should seek to avoid. Work is not something that even one day we get to escape. Did you know that God instituted work before the fall, before sin? It was when the world was still good and very good, God said, Adam, work. And he had great pleasure in it. And yes, it's true, as I said, that there, since the fall, work has been frustrated, but we're still called to work. We're still called to bear God's image and to represent Christ as we work. And one day, one day when Jesus returns and he ushers in that perfect rest, we will still work. We will work, and albeit it will be in perfect harmony and with great worship of God and in perfect joy, but we will work forever and ever in the new creation. Work is not something that we should avoid or seek to escape. A disordered view of work causes us to devalue it or to dread it or to feel drained by it. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you love work. Maybe you love your job. Maybe you enjoy it immensely. But let me ask you, do you enjoy your work in accord with the apostolic tradition? Do you enjoy your work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you enjoy your work for the glory of God? Do you enjoy your work because of Jesus? Satan, you see, doesn't really mind, I think, if we hate our job or if we love our job, as long as we're not worshiping Jesus in our job. We are meant to work, and we're meant to worship Therefore, we are meant to worship in and through our work. And that's what I think Paul is after in this passage. He doesn't merely want them to work, but to worship in it, to work because of Jesus. But the way he gets at this message, <clears throat> talking about the Christian order of work, is somewhat unique. He, he's kind of negative. He gives 12 negative words with a, a, a strong contrast, saying not this, but this. No, no, not this, nor this, but this. And so I want to give you a similar kind of focus here. The first, by a way of summary, you might say that this passage, in this passage, Paul is saying, don't walk in a disorderly manner regarding work, as seen and evidenced in being undisciplined, irresponsible, and disruptive. Don't do that. But instead, rather walk with the Christ, within the Christian order of work, and the Christian order of work is done because of Jesus. Paul's saying that we ought to follow the apostolic example and command and teaching about work that's focused on Jesus. And we should not follow the way of the world or the way of our flesh. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7. <clears throat> 7 through 9, we see the apostolic example. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle, that is, we were not disorderly regarding work when we were with you. <clears throat> Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not, that, it was not because we do not have that right. Surely they did as apostles. 
but he knew their weaknesses. And he says it was in order to give in, in ourselves an example to imitate. So when we work as we ought to, when we work because of Jesus, we are following the apostolic example. But more than that, we're obeying the apostolic command in verse 10. We read, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, not a suggestion, not mere good counsel, but a command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Notice he doesn't say if anyone doesn't work, for some cannot. But he says if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So this is not a, a, a prohibition against charity for those in real need, but those who are not willing to work even though they can. And the command is, you ought to work. Verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage and then Lord Jesus Christ, not just because the apostle says so, but because he says so with the authority of the Lord himself. Work quietly and earn your own living. <clears throat> this is clearly the apostolic command in addition to the apostolic example. But if that's all we had, it wouldn't be enough. It should be, but it wouldn't be. If you tell someone, you need to go and work, and let me show you, let me give you an example. For some, it might come naturally and okay, but that would still be disordered. Some people work hard because that's what they were taught. Some people work hard because they feel the need to. Some people work hard because they know they're supposed to. But that's not in accord with the apostolic teaching. That's not even in accord with the apostolic example or command. He's not just saying work. He's saying work because of Jesus. Look at verse 6. We give us, he gives us the apostolic teaching. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, that again is walking in a disorderly manner regarding work, and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Did you catch that last clause? When you are not working in an, the Christian, within the Christian order, when you're not working as you ought to, that is in opposition with, it's in conflict with the apostolic tradition. By tradition, though, we don't just mean the way things have always been done. <clears throat> it connects back to chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul explains that the traditions that we ought to hold to and stand firm on is the gospel teaching itself. He says, whether the traditions that you were taught to us, either by our spoken word or by our letter, everything that Paul ever preached to them or wrote to them is this apostolic tradition. It's the apostolic teaching that centers on, that focuses on Jesus Christ. Which includes, yes, commands and warnings and rebukes, but, but at the heart of it is the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done. And so you see here, it doesn't, Paul doesn't just say, hey, let me tell you to go bear fruit. He says, let me help root you in the apostolic teaching about Jesus. If you just tell someone the what without giving them the why, it doesn't work so well. So what is the root? What is the why? What's the, the motivation for working here? He tells us, gives us a hint, I think, at least, in verses 6 and 12 when he says, Brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. Or in verse 12, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, My command to you is because of Jesus. And so if you're to obey the command, it must also be because of Jesus. If I'm commanding you in the name of the Lord Jesus, then your obedience ought to be in the name of the Lord Jesus because of Him, centered on Christ. Or as he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, <clears throat> And whatever you do, 
In word or deed, do everything. Do you see how he left nothing out? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he applies this to working in the rest of that chapter in verses 22 through 24, Colossians 3. Bond servants, that is those who are indentured or who are hired servants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, your heavenly master. Whatever you do, there it is again from verse 17, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord <clears throat> and not for men. Work for the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Work for Jesus. Work because of Jesus. When you work because of Jesus, Jesus is at the center. Or as one theologian has put it, you work with Jesus being the governing and gravitational force of all that you do. You're focused on Him. When you work because of Jesus, you work with faith in Jesus and submission to Jesus and love for Jesus, representing His character of perfect obedience, representing who He is. You're following His example of sacrificial service to others. You're surrendering to His authority found in His Word. When you work because of Jesus, you're responding to His grace, it's found in the cross of Christ. When you work because of Jesus, you're trusting in his sovereign help that flows out of heaven as he is now reigning and interceding for his people. <clears throat> when you work because of Jesus, you work all for the good of his people, the growth of his kingdom and the glory of his name. This is the Christian order of work where you do all that you do because of Jesus. You see your work as from him, and you work with him and for him. Well, what does this look like? How is this manifested? How is this evidenced in your work? Let me give you three ways, again, by this negative-positive contrasting couplet. When you work because of Jesus, it's evidenced by not being undisciplined, but working laboriously because of Jesus. You're not undisciplined in your work, but you work laboriously because of Jesus. That is with hard labor. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> Paul says, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day. The words toil and labor here have to do with trouble, with burden, and with wearisomeness. By the sweat of their brow they worked night and day so they could provide for themselves. We ought to work with discipline and laboriously because of Jesus. Because of Jesus you ought to be a blessing to others, an example to others, and a witness to others in your work. You should not be a stain on the gospel. <clears throat> Back in the early 1900s, Mildred was a typist. Now, if you don't know what a typist is, um, that was before we had email and computers and even copy machines. <clears throat> when you wanted documents or letters written, maybe hundreds or by the thousands, you would have to have rows and rows of desks in an office space, and you would have typewriters on the desk, and typists would sit there and they would type them out. Well, Mildred was one such a typist. And she worked at this office place where a London executive also worked. And he would walk past the typist office several times a day as he was working, and he noticed that this one lady, she would type faster and work harder, take less breaks, and seem more joyful in her work than anybody else. So he asked his friend, what's up with this one typist? And he goes, oh, that's Mildred. She's a Christian. As though that settled it, but it didn't for him. Three weeks later, he's still continuing to watch her, so he decided to ask her for himself. 
Mildred, why do you work so hard and with so much joy? I, I don't understand. And she said, oh, sir, it's because I'm a Christian. He goes, I, I, don't, I don't understand. You see, I'm not just serving my human boss. I work for Jesus. That executive, it, it, like, it was a, a, a thorn in his side where he couldn't get it out of his mind. He decided to investigate the claims of Christianity for himself. He read the Bible. And God converted him, saved him. And years later, he was at a church giving a, a talk. And he was telling about his own testimony about Mildred. And how God used that woman's testimony, her example, her blessing at working hard, in part to convert him. And as he's telling the story, there was a young man in the audience who heard it, and it was convicting to him. And he got saved. And that young man grew up to be a very notable theologian who spoke to and wrote to thousands upon thousands of people. And he would often tell this story as often as he could about Mildred. And one such man that he influenced was a theologian who wrote a commentary on 2 Thessalonians, which I read this past week in the story of Mildred. And now I'm telling it to you, and who knows who you might tell. Do you see what happened? That over a hundred years ago, little Mildred, a typist doing an ordinary job, worked because of Jesus. And how many people did it lead to Christ or lead to worship Him? Your work done for Jesus, done because of Jesus, ought to be a witness, a blessing, an example to others. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the end of verse 11 and on into 12. He says, work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk, walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Outsiders are watching you work. That is, those who are not doing anything because of Jesus. They're watching you. And other Christians are watching you. It should be a blessing to them, a testimony, an example for them when you work because of Jesus. A second way that this working in the Christian order is evidenced is by not being irresponsible, but working willingly because of Jesus. Not being irresponsible, but working willingly because of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That is, you are responsible for your own sustenance, providing for yourself. So therefore, you're also responsible to work. You're responsible to work. And so take it gladly. Take it willingly. Not begrudgingly. Work with joy. Because of Jesus, you ought to provide for yourself and others under your care. You ought to work in such a way that you're not burdening others unnecessarily. And you can be a burden to your customers or clients or to your boss when you work with a terrible attitude. Look at verse 8 again. Nor do we eat anyone's bread. That's, it's their bread. We didn't eat it without paying for it so that it would become ours. Again in verse 10, <clears throat> we knew that we weren't going to eat if we didn't work, so we were willing. And in verse 12, we command such persons and encourage them in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That is to eat their own bread, bear their own responsibility gladly, willingly taking it upon themselves. The third way we evidence the Christian order of work is by not being disruptive, but working quietly because of Jesus. Not disruptive, but working quietly because of Jesus. Look at verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> But we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Again, that's walk in a disorderly manner regarding work. 
Not busy at work, but busy bodies. That is meddling in other people's affairs. Now such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly. Quietly. That is with the right focus. Not being disruptive to others. Because of Jesus, you ought to work quietly. In Thessalonica, there were some who, whether they were uh, thinking of their eschatology, that Jesus has already come and so they didn't need to work. Maybe they were going house to house or in the public square telling people, you don't need to work. You don't need to worry about ordinary earthly things. Because Jesus, the spiritual realm, let's, let's focus there. And they were disrupting people. Or perhaps they were bragging about and, and telling people, you need to get a patron like I got. It's great. You don't really need to work. Not that necessary if others will provide for you. And perhaps it was just their poor example, their poor witness, lacking integrity in their work, and it was disturbing others, maybe making others angry or causing others to want to give in to that as well. Either way, they were focused on the details of the lives of others, and they were not focused on their own tasks. Because of Jesus, you ought to focus on your own concerns, your own obligations first. Now, I'm not against all social media. I'm not against all entertainment. I'm not against all um, uh, of your intake of news. But let me ask, how much time do you spend on YouTube or on your favorite social media app or your favorite news app when you ought to be working instead? Maybe you're meddling in other people's affairs. You're wanting to know the latest gossip on that uh, celebrity or figure out the, that, that, the other sports figure you want to learn about or um, something going on in the world at large. But you're not focused on what is right before you, your obligations, your tasks that God has given you. We ought to work focusedly, quietly. Again, I, I, lest I be misunderstood here, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. This time starting at verse 9. 9 through 11. <clears> 1 <throat> Thessalonians 4, 9 through 11. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this to do this more and more. Do you see what he's saying? He says, you need to care for others. You need to be involved in other people's lives. Does that sound like meddling to you? That's not what he's saying. Be involved in other people's lives who need you, whom you can be a blessing to. But then he adds, verse 11, And we, need, we urge you to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. There's no conflict with loving other people, being involved in other people's lives, and being focused on your own issues, your own concerns, your own obligations. The issue here is whether you are being an encouragement or a disruption to other people as you meddle or as you care. All of this, whether you are, when you are working laboriously, when you're working willingly, when you are working quietly, these are products of working within the Christian order, of working because of Jesus. The Christian order of work puts neither work nor rest at the center, but Jesus at the center. The Christian order of work is where all things relate to Jesus. They flow from Him and they connect back to Him. Therefore, to be disorderly regarding work then is not simply to be undisciplined or irresponsible or disruptive. Those are merely the symptoms, the product of a disordered work life. Disorderly work is work 
not done because of Jesus. Disorderly work is when it, he's not your focus, when he's not at the center. Every job has a what, a how, and a why. And if I may, the what, that is the career, the task, the job you're in, that is the least important thing out of the three. How you work and why you work is significantly more important than what you do. Now, this is, this is because, in, in large measure, the what is very, has very little to do with it being distinctly Christian. Now, it can be distinctly unchristian if you are a drug dealer or a bank robber. Then sure, that's not Christian work. You say, well, yeah, but distinctly Christian work, that's, that's being a pastor or a missionary or professor at a seminary or, or something like that. Not necessarily so. How many false teachers are in the church? How many people are doing um, ministry for their own ends, their own personal goals? That's not Christian work. So the how is more important for sure. But even the how is not, doesn't make it distinctly Christian always. Again, you can have a, a, an atheist or an Anglican, a Muslim or a Methodist, and they can build a deck or, or fix your computer or, or sell you insurance or whatever you do. They can do that job and do it with integrity and honesty and in service. The real question is why? Why do you work? What's your motivation and what's your goal? That is what makes it distinctly Christian if you do your work because of Jesus. The Christian order of work is done, is work done because of Jesus. And if you want to respond to this, let me give you two big things. Number one, work because of Jesus and then rest because of Jesus. Work because of Jesus. I mean to keep Christ central in your work. And in order to do this, you actually must work. I know that might sound overly simplistic, but yeah, you just, you got to work. If you ought to be working, then work. Work laboriously with disciplined excellence and service. Work willingly with responsible gratitude and joy. Maybe you say, but you don't understand. I, I don't love my job. <clears throat> you don't have to enjoy your tasks, but you can still find joy in them. Sometimes you have to look beneath them and beyond them. Maybe you, what you enjoy when you do your work then, that task that is not your favorite, you say, I'm grateful for, and I'm going to rejoice in the fact that you've give, given me a job, Lord. That I'm, I'm doing a good or a service for other people. I'm blessing other people. I'm going, to, I'm going to be like Mildred. Maybe she didn't love typing, but she loved Jesus. And she loved other people. And she can enjoy what she was accomplishing in it all. She worked for Jesus and worshipped him because she worked because of him. So work laboriously, work willingly, and then work quietly. That is, instead of being disruptive, work in, with encouraging integrity and focus. Instead of discouraging people from work, disrupting that, encouraging them to work by your integrity, by your excellence, by your love, by your focus on what God has given you to do at hand. So you have to work if you're going to keep Christ central in it. But then if you want to work because of Jesus, seek to view and remember the value and focus of your work. Seek to view and remember that you ought to work because of Jesus, that he should be at the center. Well, how does this happen? How do you get there? You may need to read about. You may need to listen to messages about. You may need to often reflect on a robust theology of work. Like, what is work about? How does this, if, if, if there's a Christian order where everything is in a harmonious relationship with everything else and to its purpose, what is the purpose of work? 
And so this week, I'm going to put up a blog post on um, our, our website, pineyridgechurch.org. It's going to have uh, several resources for you, maybe to, to, to dive deeper into how do I work unto Jesus? And maybe you just grab one of those. You pick one of those up and you read it and ask God to help you to, to keep focused on what you ought to be focused on in work, to work because of Jesus. But then practically, how do you just remember that and, and keep that before you regularly? Maybe you need to take five minutes before you start work every day and say, Jesus, I want to work because of you today. I want to work with you at the center. Perhaps on the way to work and on the way home from work, or maybe you work out of, out of the home or in the home, then take five minutes to pray and to get your heart right. Take up God's word and say, I need to be focused today. Maybe you take your lunch break and take a few minutes to get your heart and to keep your heart and your mind focused on Jesus as you work. One of the, the, the great ways of doing this is to pray constantly, to pray without ceasing. To work because of Jesus means in part to work with him, to work in fellowship with him, to work prayerfully, asking him for help in this project or dealing with this difficult customer or client or this coworker or your boss. <clears throat> to ask him to help you to regularly work because of Jesus. But then also, you need to rest because of Jesus. We do need rest, you know. We are human creatures, not divine creatures. And we are creatures, not creators. We need to rest. People often talk about needing a work-life balance. That's really nonsense, actually, think about it. Because work is part of life. You don't need a work-life balance. You need a work-rest balance. And you may need to take some extra time to rest. You need physical rest, spiritual rejuvenation, mental reflection. Or you may need a job time slash family time balance. Not spending enough time with your spouse, with your children, with your extended family, with your church community or the community at large. Whether you are working or resting, do it because of Jesus. Whether your work is with computers or hammers or laundry, whether your work is with students or clients or kids or cars or food or your house, work and rest because of Jesus. All right, what about those who are retired? What about those who are looking forward to retirement? What about those who are disabled and cannot work? Let me just give you a few ways that this specifically applies to you as well. <clears throat> Number one, retirement or disability should not be a time or an excuse to unduly burden others or to become busybodies. It should not be a time where you unnecessarily put burden on other people. There may be a time, there may be a real need that you are relying on other people, and you have to. Well, that's okay. But if it's unnecessary, if you just are quitting working because, eh, you're just done, you feel like you've given enough, then you should not be unnecessary duly burdening others, or become busy bodies where you're just meddling in the affairs of others. You're, you're not focused on anything that God has given you to do. You're just worrying about other people and focused in getting into their lives in an inordinate, unhelpful way. Then the second way this applies is that for retirement and disability, this should be a time, this should be an opportunity to work because of Jesus in new ways, in different ways, and maybe unique ways. Maybe without getting paid, not in the traditional way of work. But you have a unique stage of life, a unique area and time to do things that you maybe never have been able to do before. <clears throat> so instead of spending this time in self-centeredness because you've earned this leisure, no, 
Instead, you have given, been given an opportunity to give and to serve and to support and to mentor others in ways that you have never had before. Praise God for that. And work in that way laboriously, willingly, and quietly for the good of others and the glory of Jesus. And this applies to those who are retired or disabled, those who are mothers or wives stay at home, those who are students or those who are or kids or those who are in between jobs or working. This applies to all of us in a very general sense. Because all we do, whether you, whether in word or deed, in everything you do, whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Live because of Jesus. Christian, you are a new creation. Therefore, you have a new mandate. You have a new call in your life. You are no longer your own. You have been bought with the price, and therefore you have a new master. You have new priorities and a new focus in life, a new agenda, a new goal in your work. Far from any of this leading you to idolize your work, far from any of this leading you to ignore or to begrudge your work, all of this should lead you to work because of Jesus, to working laboriously, willingly, joyfully, effectively, quietly, in a focused way because of Jesus. We are not meant to be mere consumers, but to be producers, to be builders, to be sharers. Because of the fullness of every spiritual blessing in Christ, because of the very great and precious promises of God in Jesus Christ, because God is always working everything for the good of His people, because Jesus Himself is always reigning and interceding for His people, because God gives us new mercies every morning, because we have every good and perfect gift that comes from God, because of all of this and more, as declared in the apostolic tradition, we ought to be makers and givers, not just takers and users. Do you see, it's because of Jesus that we ought to live this way and work this way. We ought to work in a distinctly Christian order where Christ is at the center and we do all we do because of Jesus. But what if Christ is not at the center of your life? <clears throat> then he won't be at the center of your work. What if you don't really do anything because of Jesus? Not really. Then your response today ought to be to repent, to turn to Jesus, and to see that there is no life, there is no joy, there is no meaning or purpose outside of Jesus Christ. He is at the center, and he should be at the center of your life. So turn to him today. And if you want help in talking, understanding more about what that means, I would love to share with you more. Or maybe another pastor, another Christian around you, just connect with him about that. It would be our delight to talk with you. But when we come to partake of communion this morning, if, if that describes you this morning, that Christ isn't at the center of your life, then stay where you are and don't come to partake of communion. But if you do see Jesus as supreme, He is at the center, and you want Him to be so more practically in your life, and you've had your faith in Jesus affirmed by other Christians in baptism in just a moment, you, I invite you to exit to your left and come up to one of these tables and grab the communion elements that represent the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And the gluten-free is to your far left here and you can go back to your seat to your right and partake of communion th this morning <clears throat> with gratitude and joy for the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Praise Him that He worked laboriously even unto death. That He worked willingly 
Gladly, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And then he worked quietly, focused on himself, not getting sidetracked with anything else other than the mission, the work that God, his Father, set for him. Praise him for it. And ask him to help you to work and to do all things because of him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for your work. Holy Spirit, would you help us to work like Jesus and because of Jesus? Help us to rest and to live and do all things because of him. We thank you for your grace, your saving, forgiving, transforming, empowering grace through Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. For those who should come, whenever you're ready, please do.